we're going to continue with our series called Awaken. And here's the deal. Our whole idea of awakenings is this, is that as we journey through the book of Ephesians, that we're going to begin to awaken, come alive, come awake to the principles that are in here that, that go back to this very simple truth, is that Jesus himself has made a way for we who are non-Jews, for Gentiles, to have full access into all the blessings of God. What Jesus did was open up a way where there seemed to be no way. And our awakening in this means we awaken to God's plans. Not just God's plan, but God's plans. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you. Someone say the plans. I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isn't that good news? So our awakening is this understanding that no matter where we find ourselves now, you may be on the mountaintop, things may be going well for you, but if you're like most folks of us around here, there's some stuff going on. You know, drama happens, right? Life happens. And if that's you and you've got things going on in your life, circumstances, situations, it's easy to find yourself thinking, I think I'm the only one going through something right now. Well, I want to welcome you to the human race and let you know that you are not alone in whatever's going on. But here's the good news. This is a but God. God has plans for you. And he has a future and a hope for you. He has not forgotten you. He's not overlooked you. He has not passed you over. Even if you feel that way, but since when do we live by our feelings as followers of Jesus? For we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. So we follow him according to truth and according to what he says, not according to how I happen to feel that day when I wake up. Anybody ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? How many of you have three sides of the bed that are the wrong side of your bed? You know what I'm talking about. That's just the way it is. We wake up and we have those days. You ever had a day? I'm just having a day. How are you doing? I'm having a day. You don't even need to define that. You're having a day. So what we're talking about in this series as we traffic and continue to travel through the book of Ephesians is all the various things that we're to awaken to. But I have to tell you something. Paul has a one-bullet gun on this thing. And you're going to find as we go through all six chapters of this that he's going to come back to the same theme over and over and over. We're going to look at it in just a second. But what I want to do is I want to pick up where we left off because this is what we ended with. Because here's the thing. It's not enough just to get a wow. We need to get some how in this thing, right? So it's good to get the wow and go, that's amazing. Woo, great truth. That's a heavy revy, Pastor Jimmy. Bring it. That's good stuff. But here's the deal. We got to know what to do, like how to do it. So while I celebrate the wow, I also want to lean into and say, so how do we activate this? How do we activate it? One of our definitions for the word awaken is the word activate. When you wake up, you're actually activating your own self and your own life. So we want to activate and lean into how do we make this work? So here's the deal. I want to pick up where we left off right at the end last time because we were talking about awakening to Christ in us. Here's the one bullet that Paul keeps going back to. You used to be this, and now you're this. You were, but now you are. In fact, look at the statements there. We were blank. You can personalize it and say, I used to be this, but now I am this. 
Here's the beauty. You may not be where you're going to go. You may not have arrived yet, but here's the good news. You're not where you used to be. Can I get an amen? Amen. You're not where you used to be. You're growing whether you know it or not. You remember your parents? I don't know if your parents ever had this, but mine would always mark the doorpost. You know, they would mark the doorframe in the kitchen. So as we grew, we would think we weren't growing until we stepped up against the line, and I wondered why I was wearing floodwater pants all the time. It's because I was growing. But I didn't realize it until I stepped up to that line and realized, oh my gosh, I grew an inch over the summer. So we don't always know we're growing, but you can be be sure that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not where you used to be. Why? Because he has plans for you. He loves you that much. So the bullet that Paul tends to have throughout this whole book is you used to be this, now you're this, and in Christ, let me tell you who you are. One of the most important truths that will ever drop for you besides the love of God is who you are in Christ, your identity in Jesus Christ. When you get your identity secure, when you figure out who you are in Him, let me tell you something. Everything else will tend to find order in your life. So as we continue to go through this, I want you to lean into this with me. I'm going to invite you to do something. Would you with me, and I'm saying me included, Would you take a step back from everything you know just for a minute? All your preconceptions, all the teaching, everything you've had, all the doctrine, all the religion, everything you've grown up with and what you've thought God to be. Can you just move back from that just a little bit and give some margin, give some space so that you can come to the Word of God a little more objectively as opposed to subjectively and say, Lord, would you speak to me fresh through these scriptures that I may have read many times over. And I'm telling you, when you come to the scripture with fresh eyes, the Lord will have a fresh word for you. And here's the good news about today. Did you know that one word from God could change your life forever? Oh, I'm going to say that again. You better tweet that or something. That's good stuff. Good job, Pastor Jimmy. One word from God can change your life forever. One word. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Look for your one word today. You might have already heard it. Mine, mine, I'm kind of leaning into this, my weapon is a melody today. I, that, that just jumped off the screen to me. But what is your one word? Could be some, somebody prayed. It could be something. could be a conversation in the parking lot. It could be these donut holes are amazing. They've changed my life. I don't know, whatever. Look for your one word from God because God has something to say today. Do you believe that? Pray with me, Father, in the name of Jesus, as we step into the Word of God that's incomparable, that's immeasurable, that's amazing. As we step into this, Father, I'm asking you to breathe fresh life into these scriptures, that this Word will become fresh manna for us today, that we'll not just default to, oh, I've heard that before, oh, yeah, I've read that before, I've studied that, oh, God, may we come with open hearts So I'm asking a favor, Father. Would you open our eyes that we may see? Open our ears that we may hear. Would you open our hearts that we may know in our knower the truth that makes us free? In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. All right, let's move forward. Definition of awaken, we talked about that. The short version of this, to awaken means to stir up, to stir. I had to awaken my daughter this morning. I had to stir her up. I had to activate her so she'd be here in time to keep children. So I got her, I awakened her this morning. So stepping in, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, short version of Ephesians, or at least a little history background for those of you who hadn't been here. 
Paul wrote this as probably one of the last things he wrote before his death. He was sitting in a Roman prison cell awaiting sentencing, not knowing if the next day would be his last or this day was his last. So he pens a letter, and by the way, this is a circular letter, which means even though it was written to the church at Ephesus, it's actually meant to be circulated among the churches. So it would go to one, and then they would read that letter to everybody, and then they would send it on to the next church around. It could be Philippi, Caesarea, Corinth. It could be all the various churches that were, that were planted on those missionary journeys in the area of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey to us. So this letter is a circular letter, which means it has a broad appeal. It's not just written to the Ephesians. So you'll notice in the book of Ephesians, it's not a letter of correction. Unlike, unlike um, I just totally lost it, Colossians. Colossians was a letter of correction. Colossians was dealing with doctrinal issues, and Corinth was a total train wreck as a church. And so the whole two letters that you read in Corinthians are both correcting major issues in the church, not Ephesians. Ephesians was written as a manifesto. Bill and Annabelle Gillum, I don't know if you know them, but Bill Gillum wrote a book called Lifetime Guarantee. That book was a game changer for me. And in that book, he basically said this, I am, I'm done. This is my last thing. It was just before he died. And he wrote Lifetime Guarantee. And he wrote in the foreword of that book, if I could say anything in one book, it would be this. And so he wrote that book with that in mind. If I could say anything or write anything that I've always wanted to write but didn't, it's this book. In other words, this is basically my manifesto. So he wrote Lifetime Guarantee. You should read that book if you haven't. And in that book, every word has weight. Every word has gravity. Book of Ephesians, when you open this book in your Bible, don't read it the way you used to read it. Don't gloss over it as a devotional. Read into it. Dive into it. Because here's the thing. We don't want to just get into the Word. We want the Word to get into us. Amen? Let the weight and gravity of Paul's last words, it's estimated, various scholars will say, from one to three years after he penned this letter, he, his life was taken in that prison. So these were some of his last words, and he wrote it as though, this is it for me. So when I read the book of Ephesians now, with that mindset, it changes the book. Suddenly, things that I might have glossed over, I have to pause a little bit and go, I need to go a little deeper with that, because he meant that. He wrote that on purpose. He said it that way on purpose. Does that make sense? So as we dive in, think and have that mindset. So let's start in verse 1. I'm going to move fairly quickly through the first 13 verses, and then we're going to hit 14 hard, and you'll see why. Verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, notice the hyphen there. You know why? Paul starts to say something, and then he goes off on what we call a rabbit trail. You ever done that, or am I the only one? Squirrel. Okay, that's me, totally. So he goes off on a rabbit trail, but here's the beauty of it. It is an anointed rabbit he's chasing. So he's about to reiterate some things that he already had talked about in chapter 1. and chapter 2, he does a quick summary, and you may notice some of the, the verbiage here. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Wait a minute. I just had a thought. That's what Paul's doing. Or this reminds me of a story. Or I need to go here. So he pauses, and now he does a sidetrack, and here's what he does. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. 
the stewardship, that's what administration, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. In other words, these were Gentiles he was talking to. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. He talked about that earlier. God gave him revelation on a mystery that had been hidden for the ages. And that mystery, remember in Colossians, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In that point, he was speaking to Gentiles, not Jews. He's saying there's this dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. God has opened the door, kicked down the wall, has brought peace. He is our peace that has broken down the wall. And now, we who are, are Gentiles have the same blessing, the same favor, the same grace, the same access, the same security that the Jewish people had as the children of God. We now have been grafted in. That sounds complicated, and there's some theological stuff there. But just know this. We now have full access to everything that is God's. We are now heirs of Christ and joint heirs of the kingdom. Amen? So that's what he's saying. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. Revelation simply means this. It's to peel back, peel back, layer upon layer. It's been revealed. That's what it means. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. He keeps bringing this word mystery up. Which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. He says, God is revealing something that has been hidden from the beginning of time, and he's about to reveal it, and we already know what it is. This mystery is that through the gospel, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Through the good news, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. He's saying, you were over here far away, you now have been brought near. We read that last week. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. In other words, we now have full access where before we did not. And that was a mystery. Verse 7, I became a servant of this good news, this gospel, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration or stewardship of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. That's a long run on sentence, but what he's saying is, I've been given now the stewardship. I'm now the manager of this. I've been given authority to now preach the good news to the Gentiles. Guess what? That's good news for you and me. Unless you're Jewish, if you're Jewish, man, you had it before we even got it. But the beauty of it is, is now in Christ we're together. There's one man, the Scripture says. I know, again, that's pretty deep uh, uh, theological stuff. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, someone say through the church. All right, this is where we got to pay some attention here. Don't let this get by you. Look what he says. His intent was that now, someone say now. now. What do you think now means in the original Koine Greek? Now. Ooh, you're amazing. That's right. Absolutely. Now, he says this, that now, right now, through the church, the manifold wisdom, manifold, what is a manifold? That's a thing on a car, part of an engine. No, no, wait. Manifold means this. It means multifaceted. Picture a jewel, a diamond, and as you turn it in the light, you get a facet, a facet, a facet. You go into Zales, you go into all those uh, uh, jewelry stores, and they got those beautiful halogen precision lights, and they're just like alive in there. It's because they're hitting all those facets, and you're seeing the beauty of it. 
He says this, that the manifold wisdom of God, God's wisdom is multifaceted. And look at it, through the church should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. First of all, we need to pause there because this is really important. In the words of John Eldridge, the universe is highly populated. Let me say that again. You were born into a world at war, and the universe is highly populated. And by the way, he's not talking about humans. The universe is highly populated. There are things going on in the unseen realm that sometimes spill over into the seen realm. It's called spiritual warfare. It's happening, this reference, and you see throughout the book of Ephesians, he's going to refer to spiritual stuff. He's going to refer to this this host, this group, this unseen realm, that there is a bigger story and another story going alongside our story. By the way, sometimes it spills over into our business. You know what I'm saying? Listen, I don't go looking for a demon or chasing one and look under every rock or around every door unless I've watched a scary movie, then I'm a little more filtered that way. But most of the time, I don't go looking for that stuff. What happens is I don't want to ignore the obvious ever. If God is at work, there is a counterfeit at work as well, a counterfeiter, the opposite, the antithesis of the thesis. So there is something at work, there is a dark, and he calls it this, rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He's talking about demonic forces. Don't be ignorant. Don't bury your head in the sand on this stuff. This is real. The beauty of it is, is we have nothing to fear. As followers of Jesus, we live fearless lives. Amen? He says this, According to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with two things, freedom and confidence. Isn't that beautiful to know? You know why? Because it says this, Not only have we been given the mind of Christ, we've also been made to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? You can come before the throne of grace... Not like the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz, but you can come before the throne of grace standing bold and upright, not arrogant, but in agreement and alignment with the Word of God. You can come in and stand upright. The word righteous means upright. So we come in before God upright, not in fear, not cowering, not living in shame, because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.28 or 8.1, where now we can step in with no fear, no guilt, no shame, because your slate was wiped clean the day you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. That is shouting ground, folks. Your slate was wiped clean. You are not dirty. You're not marred. You're not marked up. You're not like a dry erase board that's full of stuff. There are no residue marks either, by the way. You are clean in Jesus Christ. You're a son. You're a daughter. And you can come before your good father, Abba Father, or as Miss Charlene says, Papa. You can come before your Papa with no fear. Why? Because you've been made clean by Jesus Christ. That's what all of this is about. We come with freedom and confidence. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Did you know you're free? As a child of God, you are free. Some of us don't know that, so we don't act free. But it doesn't mean we're not. We're just not acting it. So we got to line up our actions with truth. Amen? You'll know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. Amen. He says, I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, verse 14, he comes back to his original thought. All of that was a parenthesis. 
He was chasing. He was reminding them of what he had just said, basically. Now we come back to, and this is where we're going to hit it hard. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. For what reason? He goes back to chapter 2, chapter 1. Everything he said up to this point, for that reason, I'm hitting my knees. Tim Tebow was not the first person to kneel. Paul says, I'm going to hit my knees because we've been raised up and seated in Christ in heavenly places. I'm going to hit my knees because we are far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and all things are under our feet. I'm going to hit my knees because the Scripture tells me, and God says this, it is by grace, through faith, that I am saved. It's a free gift of God. I'm going to hit my knees because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells me, I am God's masterpiece, His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul says, because of all this stuff, this is where he arrives. I just have to bow my knees. Look what he says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. For this reason, for these reasons, from his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being. Listen, when we lived in Nashville, when I was on staff at a church in Brentwood, Tennessee, um, we had a neat couple in our church. You may have heard of them before. Michael O'Mardian was the producer for Christopher Cross. So Michael and his family attended our church. Michael's one of the big producers in Nashville. His, his wife is actually more famous than him because she wrote The Power of a Praying Husband, The Power of a Praying Wife, The Power of a Praying Teenager. She wrote those books. Her name is Stormy O'Mardian. So Michael and Stormy, Chris O'Mardian, their son was in my life group because I did a life group for musicians that have wacky hours and have a hard time getting to church. So we did an off-night life group that I had a bunch of musicians from Nashville in my life group. And it was like herding cats, I'm not going to lie. And the problem is we met in a studio that had 30 guitars laying around. We were all guitar players. So it was just, sometimes we talked about God. Most of the time, like, hey, hand me that guitar. We had a wonderful time, but... I have to tell you, Stormy wrote a series of books where she took the Scripture and she took the prayers from the Bible and took Scriptures from the Bible and she converted it into prayer so that you could pray the Scripture. You can pray the Word. And I love this one. As I read Paul's prayer, I can easily insert myself into that prayer. This is how it works. We already got the wow. This is the how because some of you need some leverage right now to fight the good fight of faith that you're in. So here's how you do it. This is my go-to, and it is to pray the word. So here's what I'll do. I'll say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I kneel before you from whom the family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen me with power through through your spirit in my inner being. Now, you see what I just did? I personalized this. I do it out loud. I don't think it. Jesus didn't think, and the storm was stilled. He spoke to it. Jesus didn't think about Lazarus coming out of the grave. He declared it. He spoke it, and it was so. He said, when you say to this mountain, be uprooted, be cast into the sea, it'll be done, for you'll have whatever you say. The power of our words cannot be underestimated. You walk into a room and you can bring light or darkness. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat its fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. It's the power of the spoken word. This is a key to your walk. It is a key to your victory. Get God's word on your mouth. So take this, this, this prayer and make it yours. So that, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith, and I pray that me, Lord, 
that I, being rooted and established in love, that I may have power together with all of you, all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Deep and wide, deep and wide. You remember that from camp? You do remember that. That's amazing. That's where that scripture, that's where that little song comes from. It's talking about grasping the love of Christ. Verse 19, and to know this love. Father, I thank you that I get to know this. I get to know in my knower, not here, here. I get to know in my knower your love, that it surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond what I even can know in my head because it's here, that I may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He wants you to be full and overflowing. You know what that means? That means living life out of the saucer, not the cup. That is a life of overflow. When your cup is so full that it is overflowing and you're living life out of the saucer, you're living life out of the overflow, not out of the cup. Do you think that's what God has for you and me? To live a life of overflow? Come on. Come on. To live a life of overflow? Not a life of, I'm under the circumstances, I'm doing okay, but a life of overflow that says, you know what? Hallelujah anyway. It doesn't matter what's going on. Hallelujah anyway. God's good no matter what my circumstance is like. Why? Because my circumstance is a fact. But God's truth is eternal. This fact, listen to this, is temporary and subject to change. Right now, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever you are in, every person in this room, every person watching online, whatever circumstance you're in, listen to me, family. I feel like uh, Charles Stanley right now. Listen to me. Listen to me. Whatever circumstance you're in right now, it is a fact, not the truth. And it is temporary and subject to change. If you can wrap your faith around that, wrap your heart around that, you'll begin to live above that circumstance as opposed to drowning under it. Because truth is eternal, and truth says this, you have power. You have power, and you have love. You've got everything you need to rise above the circumstance. Right now, that's called eternal truth. Are you going to live out of truth, or are you going to live out of facts? You're going to live out of that which is temporary and subject to change, or are you going to live out of that which is eternal and never changes? you got a choice. He lays before us death and life, and then he gives us the answer to the question, now choose life. Which one are you going to choose, brother, sister, which one? The measure of the fullness of God. Verse 20. Oh, man. Okay, we're going to land on this because it's my favorite. But we're not just going to read it out of this translation, which is the NIV 1984 version. We're going to read it also out of the Amplified version because that's what the Amplified does. It amplifies. It's going to like this. So watch this. In the NIV. Now to him. He just, Paul switches. He's just like this massive statement. Remember, this is what he's writing before he dies. And he's saying, this is what's critical. He says, now to him who is able. You think God's able? You think God's willing? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. 
immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How, I don't know about you, but I got a pretty big imagination. My sanctified imagination is like an imagination on steroids. It's like, sheesh. It's sanctified, it's set apart, but it's just massive. How audacious can we be? He says this, Do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. How much power is at work in you right now? All power. Did you get a junior Holy Spirit? Did you get a factory reject Holy Spirit? Does yours have a factory mar on it so you got the the lesser version because it was cheaper? No, you get the full mill deal. You get grade A. You get the same Holy Spirit that hovered above the waters just before God spoke light and formed this entire thing. You get that Holy Spirit. You get the same Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That is not grade B. That is not C grade. That is first string, A team, number one. You get all of that. By the way, those kids down there, they got the same thing in them. And you who are parents know when that kid in the back is acting like a rug rat and when that kid's anointed. You know what I'm saying? You know. You know when it's the voice of God coming out of the back seat. You also know when it's the voice of, yeah, that kid, right? Our daughter, sometimes some of the most wise things we ever heard came out of the back seat and we'd like almost stop the car and go, whoa, okay, that was God. Then there were other times when it wasn't. This is, stop the car. No, I'm just kidding. Listen to this. Immeasurably more. To him be glory in the church and in Christ. This is Paul making this declaration. He's like setting it up. Paul is teeing it up for you. It's like here, I'm going to use an extra long tee, and the ball's even a little bit larger, and I'm going to give you this massive titleless driver. I'm going to tee it up, and all you have to do is swing for the big one. Just go big or go home. He is daring us to be audacious. Let me tell you what God is not calling you to do and what Paul is not daring you to do. He is not daring you to be safe. Where did we buy into the lie as followers of Jesus that this thing is supposed to be safe? Where did we buy into that lie? Just a few weeks ago, I got a threat, a credible threat. So I had a choice. Annette's like, maybe you should stay home, let somebody else preach. Maybe we should go on another vacation. Maybe I'm like, no way. Are you kidding me? Just because somebody threatens me, I'm just going to not show up? Are you kidding me? Since when is this thing ever supposed to be safe? Since when is this thing supposed to be comfortable? Yes, it's hot in here. We had an air conditioner go out. You're cooler if you're on that side of the room. We should have told you that when you got here. It'll be fixed next week, but it's getting hot in here. Since when are we supposed to be comfortable? Some of us have opted for safe over transformational. Because we take the safe route, stay in the middle of the road, don't get anywhere close to the bar ditch because the gravel's loose over there on the edge of the road. So keep it in the middle because we don't want to risk anything. And the very thing that Jesus is calling us to and the very thing that Paul is daring us to be is bold, audacious, and anything but safe. We're so afraid of what somebody will think about us if we share the gospel with them. We're so afraid of what hasn't even happened. We're so afraid of the illusion of rejection 
that we won't even share the gospel with people. It's time to become audacious, knowing that we have the full backing of heaven behind us. You're not Barney Fife. You don't have one bullet that's in your pocket. Come on, you're Rambo. You've got the full, full meal deal. Uh, I'm telling you, you, have, you are armed and dangerous, and you are packing heat. Let me share, share this out of, the, out of the amplified version, which does exactly what I said. It amplifies verse 20. Now to him, this is Paul still speaking, same words, Koine Greek, but the, the translator now expands a couple of those words so we get a little bit more clarity. And if you've never read the Amplified Version, you should. Now it's about this thick, but you can read it a verse at a time and you're going to get more out of it. Look what he says. Now to him, who? By and in consequence of the action of his power. Remember, it's activated, it's action. That is at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do, now look where he lands on this, super abundantly. You know what the word supernatural means? It means above and beyond natural. That's, when we say supernatural, it means above and beyond natural. When he says super abundantly, it means above and beyond abundance. He said, you get enough and then you get super above and, above and beyond that. So you're not just getting a little bit, you're getting the full meal deal. He says this, do supernaturally, this is God who's able to do super abundantly, far above all that we, and I love the insertion of this word of intent, dare, dare. In the movie A Christmas Story, a kid was dared to stick his tongue to a frozen pole, flagpole on the school ground. Anybody remember this scene? It's classic. He sticks his, <laughs> sticks his tongue to the pole, and it gets stuck, correct? Remember that? And they're, like, pulling on him, and, like, what are they? They're panicking. The only reason that kid stuck his tongue to the pole is not because he was dared. And it's not because he was double dog dared. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Go with me. It was because he was triple dog dared to stick his tongue to the pole, which he could not resist that. Who's going to let a triple dog dare go? You know what Paul's doing right here? Read this. He is triple dog daring you to imagine and to ask. Or in the words of my former boss, Dave Ramsey, go big or go home. He is daring us to be audacious to trust the God who super abundantly, far above anything that we would even dare imagine, ask, or think, infinitely behind our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes. That's the God that you and I serve. That's the God who loves us radically. That's the God that's crazy about you on your worst day. Safe. When I was in the 80s, I was a youth pastor, and a saying became popular. Anybody remember this one? Why be normal? Anybody remember that from the 80s? I had these things stuck all over my office. Why be normal? My question for us today is why be safe? Why be safe when we can live a life like this? Amen? Can we have our worship team come up? We're going to have our prayer team right here as we... Land the plane. It's a little. It's 
I'm going to ask you to stick out four more minutes while we worship on the way out. And can you let this song wash over you as we worship? If there's anyone here and you want to come forward for prayer for any reason, for any reason whatsoever, if you need prayer, we're here for you. It may be you've never actually stepped over the line to go all in with Jesus. This could be your day. This could be your moment right now. Why wait? Don't play it safe. Trust me, it's not playing it safe by not going all in with Jesus. And if you're here and maybe you just have a situation in your life you want prayer for, we're here for that as well. So we invite you to come to the altar and pray. Have an unsafe week, family. Amen.